like to add my welcome to you all. It's good to see so many here on a, a rainy Lord's Day. Appreciate our visitors being with us. Good to see some familiar faces and good to see some new faces. We appreciate you being here, to being amongst us to worship our God on this first day of the week. One thing I wanted to mention before I got to the lesson, in James chapter 5, in verse 16, it says, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another, so that you may be healed. The effective prayer, so that you may be healed. Let me not skip over that too quickly. The, the effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. We have people sitting in this congregation that we've been praying for, and they're getting better. I'm always encouraged by those kinds of things, and I wanted to share that with you. God bless those who we have been praying for. So good to see our sister Nellie here uh, after what she's been through. Uh, it, it, is, it is so good to see her here. And thank you, Hank, for the good job you do in taking care of her. And I'm embarrassing him right now by saying that. He's a good man. And Dawn and Donisha, glad that y'all are here among us, amongst us and doing well. Very encouraging. We have been making our way uh, through the book of Acts, looking at um, the different sermons, the different occasions in which the gospel was preached. And so we, we come to Acts chapter 17, if you want to be turning there. Chapter 17, this is during Paul's second missionary journey. He has traveled to Thessalonica, we see at the beginning of the chapter. And he begins preaching there. I think it says that he was there three Sabbaths, reasoning with them in the synagogue. But some of the jealous, jealous Jews there in Thessalonica, they stirred up trouble against Paul. And so he had to leave. And so he goes from there, from Thessalonica, he goes to Berea. And he's preaching there. We have the famous quote there about the Bereans being more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica, searching the scriptures daily to see if these things were true, that Paul was, was telling them. But the Jews in Thessalonica heard about it, so they came to, to Berea, and they stirred up trouble again. So Paul has to leave Berea, and he winds up in Athens, as we see there in verse 16. And Paul is, is there alone, and he is, they have conveyed him to Athens, and, and he's waiting for, um, for Timothy and Silas to come with him. So he has some time there by himself, and that's where he finds himself, and that's where our scripture reading that David read for us this morning there, beginning in verse 16. I want to read verses 16 and 17 again so we can uh, set the stage here. Now, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, his spirit was being provoked within him as he was beholding the city full of idols. So he was reasoning in the synagogue with the Jews and the God-fearing Gentiles and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be present. It says his spirit was provoked within him as he went through the city and saw all these idols that were there, all these things that the, they had made by their own hands. And we're going to talk about that more in just a moment. So he was provoked, and he took the opportunity to tell people about Jesus. And in verse 18, we understand he tells them about Jesus and the resurrection. That's the gospel. He's taking time to tell them about the gospel reasoning with them, with the Jews and the God-fearing Gentiles. That was kind of his custom. He would go to the synagogue, and 
There will be Jews there that he will be reasoning with, and the God-fearing Gentiles. And also says, and in the marketplace every day with those who happen to be present. So not only was he in the synagogue, he was out in the marketplace, the agora, as it was called. Those who happened to be present got to hear the message of the gospel. And some philosophers, the Epicureans and the Stoics in particular that are called out here, heard what, was, what Paul was saying, and they were curious about it. Some said he was an idle babbler. Some said he was tra- uh, proclaiming strange deities. Probably was very strange to their ears, what Paul was saying. So they took him to the, to the Areopagus. It's one of those Greek words, you know. It's all Greek to me. The Areopagus, or, or Mars Hill, or the Hill of Ares. Mars was the, uh, the god of war. And the Areopagus was this rocky hill that was not far from the marketplace, not far from the Agora. And the Athenians would gather there and they would discuss ideas of the day. Discuss new things. And the gospel sounded very new to them. So they take Paul there. They want to hear what he has to say and they want more to hear what he has to say. So Paul stood in their midst. So he's there in verse 22. He's in the... He's at the Areopagus. He's in the midst of these people. And he takes the occasion to preach a sermon about God and about Jesus Christ. So let's read the account, and we're going to come back and break it down into a few different main points. And then we're going to look at what the lesson means to us. So let's begin reading verse 22 of Acts chapter 17. And Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I observe that you are very religious in all respects. While I was passing through and examining the objects of your worship, I also found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. What therefore you worship in ignorance, this I proclaim to you, the God who made the world and all things in it. Since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands. Neither is he served by human hands as though he needed anything since he himself gives to all life and breath in all things. And he made from one every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation, that they should seek God, if perhaps they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and exist, and even some of your own poets have said, for we also are his offspring. Being then the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and thought of man. Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to men everywhere that all should repent. Because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. Now, when they heard the resurrection of the dead, some began to sneer. But others said, we shall hear you again concerning this. So Paul went out in their midst, went out of their midst. But some men joined him and believed. Among also were Diocinus, the Areopagite, and a woman named Damaris, and others with them. One of my favorite passages of scripture. This wonderful message that Paul 
gives here. And I want to start by take, thinking about the opportunity that Paul had. He begins by acknowledging that they were very religious. Here he is in Athens, walking around, seeing all these religious statues and artifacts and altars. So he has an opportunity. And he acknowledges that they're very religious, though misguided. And he arrived at this by noticing all these things that were around them, as we saw there in verse 16 and also as he begins his sermon. And he even notices an, uh, an altar with the inscription to an unknown God. And this was his jumping off point. Because he says there at the end of verse 23, what you therefore, what therefore you worship in ignorance, this I proclaim to you. And he's going to go on to tell them about the God that he worships. The God that he worships is the God who created the universe. From verse 23. And as such, he is Lord of heaven and of earth. Makes sense. He created it. He is Lord over it. And while the Athenians had idols and altars and temples, Paul reminds them that the God he knows does not dwell in buildings that were made by human hands. First Kings, verse, uh, verse Kings chapter 8, when Solomon is giving a speech and he's dedicating this newly built temple, he says in verse 27, But will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, heaven and the heaven of heavens cannot contain you. How much less this temple which I have built. While Solomon had been instructed to build the temple, told how to, he knew that he could never build something that could, that could contain the living God. He knew this marvelous building that he built would never contain the creator of the universe. Paul reminds the Athenians of this same sentiment. While you have all these altars and these temples and these uh, idols, God's not served by human hands. Paul also tells them of a God who gives life to all peoples. In verse 25, these same hands that built the altars, the temples, even, even the temple of Solomon, these same hands, these hands are not able to serve God. Why? Because God made the hands. He created man, and he sustains his life. In Psalm 145, beginning in verse 14, it says, The Lord sustains all who fall and raises up those who are bowed down. The eyes of all of you, of all, look to you, and you give them their food in due time. You open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. That's a God who created and sustains life. Let me make this point clear. God desires our worship. God desires our service. We talked about that in our class in James this morning, about the works that we do. The things that we do to serve God. He wants us to do that. But he doesn't need us to do that. What can we ever do to serve the creator of the universe? But he wants us to. He wants us to worship him. He wants us to serve him in the way that he has spelled out for us in his word. Paul tells them 
of a God who is the ruler of the nations of all the earth, in verses 26 and 27. He makes it clear that the God that he knows is in control of mankind. Daniel 4, verse 17, says, This sentence is, is by the decree of the angelic watchers, and the decision is a command of the holy ones, in order that the living may know that the Most High is ruler over the realm of mankind, and bestows it on whom he wishes, and sets it over the lowliest of men. God is still in control of mankind. He's still in control of the nations. He's designed the world in such a way that we may seek him out. In the middle of all this, isn't that a wonderful thing to think about? That his very creation, the things that he has done, all that he has put before us, is so that we might seek him out. Romans 1 and verse 20 says, For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. We can look around us and see the very beautiful world in which we live and understand there is a living God, the creator of the universe. And amongst all that, he has made it so that we are not far from each, that, that he is not far from each one of us. All the things that he has created, yet he is not far from each one of us. He is at hand. If someone is truly seeking God, they will find him. I believe that. Because he's made us in such a way that if we seek after him, we will find him. And we can know this God and not be in ignorance. This God that Paul is talking to, the Athenians, this God determines our very being. In verses 28 and 29, we see that we are his offspring. We are his children. We come from him, and in him we live and move and exist. So how can someone think that, that God is something that they can create? Why would someone think that they can carve an idol and worship that, and that's their God? Reminds me of what Paul says in Romans 9 and verse 20. On the contrary, who are you, O man, who answers back to God? The thing molded will not say to the molder, why did you make me like this, will it? We don't have the right, we don't have the authority, we don't have the, as my dad says, the gumption to talk back to our God. Who are you, O man, who asks this of God, who answers back to God? Therefore, we should not believe that anything that we can do can capture his divine nature in idols of gold or silver or stone, anything that we can come up with in our heads. Because God created us and created us to serve him, not the other way around. Paul tells these Athenians that God is a righteous judge. From verses 30 and 31 says that he has overlooked the times of ignorance in days gone by, but no longer. He's now calling on all men everywhere to repent. And no one is spared from this judgment. 
no one. In 2 Thessalonians 1, beginning at the end of verse 7, it says, When the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, dealing out retributions to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. There's judgment coming. And there's a separation coming from those who obey the law of Christ and those who don't. And it's really that simple. And that judgment that's coming comes through Jesus Christ himself, who God has appointed. In John 5, verses 26 and 27, our Lord speaks of this. He says, For just as the Father has life in himself, even so he gave to the Son also to have life in himself, and gave him authority to execute judgment, because he is the Son of Man. God has appointed Jesus Christ in this judgment place. And as proof of God's power, as proof of his power and of Jesus' authority, God raised him from the dead to give him the power, the authority to judge the world. So there is a judgment coming. Paul warns them that there is so, and no one will escape this judgment. As with a lot of accounts that are recorded for us in the book of Acts, we get to see the response of the audience. And in this one, there are three different responses from verses 32 through 34. The first group is those who sneered. The idea of resurrection caused some to mock. Remember, these are enlightened people. These are the, the smart people of the day. And Paul coming along and teaching about Jesus Christ and him crucified and resurrected. They mocked that. They sneered at it. These were those who lacked faith. Sure, they had knowledge. But they didn't have faith. Not the faith in God that Paul was proclaiming. The other group was, was those who wanted to hear more. They wanted to hear more about what Paul had to say, but they didn't act on it. They put off any kind of decision making. From verse 21, we learn that now all the Athenians and the strangers visiting there used to spend their time in nothing other than telling or hearing something new. They wanted to hear and speak. Past that, they really didn't have any desire or ambition to do anything. They didn't have that desire to, to go forward with works. They seemed just interested in hearing something new, but not acting on it. And then there's the third group. Some believed. The gospel message is powerful. Think about this few verses and we see the power of God in this. Look how it divides men's souls. Three different responses to the same message. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1 that the message that he was preaching was to some foolishness, but to others it was the power of God. From verse 20 in 1 Corinthians 1. And that power 
has the ability to save men's souls. From Romans 1 and verse 16, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. That's the power of the gospel message that Paul is preaching. It has the power to save men's souls. Some recognize that. Some think it's foolishness. What about the lessons to us? What can we learn from, from this account? First, we can learn to seize the opportunity. Paul was there in Athens. He was waiting for his comrades to join him. And he had time to walk around the city and, and see all the idols and the things that were going on there. And it says his spirit was being provoked within him. So he took the opportunity. There was something stirring inside of him that, that told him he needed to tell these people about Jesus Christ, his death and his resurrection. Seize the opportunity. Acknowledge the spirituality of your audience. Paul says, I see that you're very religious. Look at all these things that you have. You must be religious. Don't belittle people. Don't put down their faith, however misguided it might be. Use that, use that as a place to start. You have faith, great. Even the demons believe and shudder. Start there. But quickly and confidently tell them about the God that you know. This is not a God of ignorance. This is a God who has been clearly revealed to us. Tell him of the Tell them of the things that God has done. Especially about Jesus Christ and him sending his son to die for our sins. And let them know that a judgment is coming. Let them know that there's a separation coming. Those who either obeyed the law of Christ or those who did not. And let them know that they're going to be in this judgment, whether they like it or not, whether they believe it or not. And because of that, they need to repent. They need to change from their life and turn to a life of God, turn to a life following after Christ. That's this in a nutshell. And there are a myriad of ways to tell someone about the gospel, but this is a good outline of a, of a way to do it. And understand, just like Paul, just like, think about who we're talking about here, the Apostle Paul, a man guided by the Holy Spirit to confirm the word of God, and people rejected him. You think we'll be rejected? Absolutely. We're going to get, among other things, those same three responses. People are going to mock us what are you talking about? What are you talking about, Jesus Christ, him crucified, raised from the dead? That's nonsense. It's foolishness. Some will delay making a decision. I'm sure we've all seen that. Well, I'll get around to it. Junie mentioned in class this morning about him encouraging a man to be baptized. It took a while. 
people, some people like to hear, some people like to, to uh, hear the gospel or, or hear God's word or study with you or debate you. But they put off that decision making for a long time. And it might be too late when they come to that decision. But understand that some will believe. Some will believe the message that you might tell them about Jesus Christ. And they'll act on it. They'll believe it. They'll repent. They'll confess. They'll be baptized. And they'll become your brother and sister, brother or sister. So understand that those same three responses that Paul got, the Apostle Paul, can happen to us as well. The God that we serve, the God that brings us here every first day of the week, he's not unknown to us. We do not worship him in ignorance. All these idols and altars and temples here in Athens, spread around the city, even so far as an altar to an unknown God. That's ignorance. Paul says we don't worship that kind of God. We worship a known God. In 2 Peter 1 and verse 3, it says, Seeing his power, his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness, through the true knowledge of him who called us by his glory and excellence all things pertaining to life and godliness. We don't have to guess. We don't have anything up here that says, just in case, we have this altar. Just in case, we have this set aside. We come here to do what God has prescribed for us to do. And we go out of here. I hope each and every one of us does the things that we are prescribed by God to do. We don't serve God in ignorance. We serve him in true knowledge, as Peter says there in 2 Peter 1 verse 3. He is the creator of all things and has given us our lives. Think about that. And he has called us to repentance through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Having overlooked those times of ignorance, God is calling on all men everywhere to repent. From verse 30 of chapter 17. And Jesus is the one who will judge all mankind. God has appointed him to do so. And the question comes down to, are you ready for that judgment? We mentioned in class, Devin mentioned in class this morning again. It could come today. It could come 100 years from today. It could come 1,000 years from today. We don't know. Only God the Father knows. So are you ready for that judgment? If not, you need to make your, right, your life right with God. You need to repent. He's calling on all men everywhere to repent. Who does that leave out? No one. If you are here and you are subject to the gospel call, and you have not repented, you can do that now. If as a child of God you've stumbled, and you're not living the life you should be living, if the God that we serve has become unknown to you. You need to repent. You need to draw closer to the God that we serve, the creator of this universe. If there's any way that we can help you, you can let that be known by coming forward as we stand to encourage you.